Ah, the sizzle of McDonald's sausage. It's enough to make you crave your favorite breakfasts. Enough to head over to McDonald's. Enough to make you really wish this commercial were scratch and sniff. And if you're a sausage person, now get two satisfyingly savory sausage McGriddles, sausage biscuits, or sausage burritos for just $3.33. Or mix and match. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This is the Midlife Mail Podcast with Greg Scheiman. Brought to you by Inns Group Insurance. Inns Group is insuring success. From the Gal Media Studios, here's Greg Scheinman. All right, guys, here we go. It is Midlife Mail Podcast time. Greg Scheinman here. Thank you so much for joining me this week and every week as we bring you another episode of the Midlife Mail Podcast. Keep the feedback coming. Keep the recommendations coming. Keep the five-star reviews coming. It means a lot. Helps us gain awareness for the show. Keeps the Midwife Mail movement growing. Moves us up the iTunes charts. And we're enjoying doing it. Sounds like you guys are enjoying hearing the show. And let's keep, uh, let's keep going. Third time's the charm. Couldn't get this intro right. Try, try again. And here we go for the third time. I guess that's how it's done. That's perseverance, right? That's part of this whole thing. Just keep moving forward. Try, try again, fall down, get right back up. So with that in mind, let's talk about Kyle Noonan, who joins me on the show today. Talk about perseverance. Talk about the entrepreneurial spirit. Talk about successful partnerships and concepts. He is the co-owner of Free Range Concepts an innovative Dallas-based restaurant group that pioneers fresh ideas with the creation of -of one-of-a-kind venues throughout Texas. He's got more than 18 years of hospitality and restaurant industry experience. Their concepts, he and his partner, Josh Sepkowitz, have created The Rustic, featuring live music seven days a week. Third location just opened in Houston, others in Dallas and San Antonio. Bowl and Barrel, one of my favorites, an upscale boutique bowling alley and full-service restaurant, also in Dallas, Houston, and San Antonio, sensing a theme here. The General Public, a spirited neighborhood restaurant and bar committed to wholesome food and warm hospitality. And Mutt's Canine Cantina, this is very cool. I'm a dog lover. Riley and I can head out there to Mutt's Canine Cantina. It is a unique urban oasis for dogs and their owners. They just started franchising that around the country as well. Kyle and I got to know each other through the wonders of social media and also both being involved in the hospitality, food, and beverage industry. Kyle on the risk taker side, me on the risk management side. He is an accidental influencer, I like to call it. Maybe it's on purpose. I don't know. But the guy's got 20 plus thousand followers. He's got a really funny, self-deprecating sense of humor. He's putting some really great content out there. And he's just the kind of guy that has got it going on. You want to be around him. You want to go to his parties. I guess he has people over at his house all the time, likes to entertain, do all that good stuff. He's a father. And and you you just get the feeling that, that this guy is going to be successful at whatever it is that that he does. I enjoyed this conversation a lot. Um, it's the first time I recorded a podcast actually on a stage. We did this at the stage at the Rustic in Dallas. There was some really cool shit going on there at the same time. Some of it I can't talk about right now. Mm-hmm. But the man is continuing to grow his personal brand. He's continuing to grow his profile. And I think you're going to be seeing and hearing a lot about Kyle Noonan in the future. So with that in mind, now that I got through this, let's get to the episode. Kyle Noonan, co-founder, Free Range Concepts, on this week's episode of the Midwife Mail podcast. Bang. Sitting here 
on the stage at the Rustic in Dallas with Kyle Noonan today. What's up? How are you doing? Thanks, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me, pal. Good to see you. This is great. Nice to wake up at 5 a.m., hop in the car, drive to Dallas, and here we are under the lights. How, right ma- how many stages have you been on and done this podcast? So this has got to be one of the this first. This is the first. I have okay. not recorded a podcast on an actual stage. Okay, good, okay? good, good. Behind some stages, some back yeah. rooms, some green rooms and stuff, but this is the first one on the stage. So I want to ask you also, as we're sitting on this stage, Who's been on this stage? Uh, we've had a lot of big names. One of my favorites was Salt and Pepper. Okay. Um, an old throwback. Uh, I'm 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 an '80s '80s kid, and I just I, that's they taught me rap music. So having them was really cool. We've had Brad Paisley. We've had we've had some big names. Um, but you know, one of the coolest things about this stage to me that I didn't anticipate when we first opened uh, was all the up and coming talent and how this is this stage is kind of been viewed as a launching pad for artists that are that are really trying to make it in the industry which is a cutthroat industry it's a really hard industry and so seeing people that you know this they're used to playing 80 90 person bars Mm -hmm. and then they come up on this stage in front of 1500 2000 people and it's the biggest audience they've ever seen and their eyes are as big as saucers and it's it's really fascinating to watch and see how nervous they are and how excited they are and they view this stage as their launching pad which is really cool and it was something that i didn't think about when i opened this this place and um but it was but it was one of those side side benefits you, you, as you mentioned that and we'll and we'll dovetail into a couple of areas but the things that you don't think about you know a common yeah. theme that comes up with entrepreneurship you know, you yeah, it's impossible to think about everything, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's so many pitfalls throughout any business, any industry. Um, I think one of the keys to being an entrepreneur, to me, and just running a business, is having this undying ability to not give up. Um, because stuff is going to come your way all the time. And I almost said a different S word. Um, <laughs> Which you certainly can. Okay? I'm, I didn't know. See, I'm trying to be your best podcast guest. <laughs> so I didn't know <laughs> if, if profanity was okay. But, um, you know, stuff comes your way all the time and you have to be relentless um, mm-hmm. because you can't plan for everything. Is, is that a thing with you, though, with you, to, to be the best? You know, if you want to be the best podcast guest, you want to be the best in hospitality, is that... Yeah, you? you know, being the best is interesting. So I think that there's a there's a fine line between being really good at what you do, but also you can't let perfection get in the way. Um, I think perfection is is great if you want to be an artist, um, but if you want to scale, I, I'm much more interested in getting a, a B plus or an A minus than an A plus, mm-hmm. um, because I feel like an A minus I'm still really good, but I can scale that. Um, if I, if I have to get too caught down, too bogged down in the minutia, that's where you kind of stop growing and Mm -hmm. because you, you can't scale perfect. So it's, it's a fine balance and it's weird and it's, and it's hard to say that, uh, you have to be okay with some mistakes because you're just going to make some mistakes. That's if you want to scale. Yep. Do you wrestle or have some trouble with letting them go? Do you take it home yeah. at night? You know? Oh, well, so there's, there's two components to letting it go, in my opinion. Um, the first one is anytime you start a business, uh, it's your baby, right? And you, you want to coddle it and you want to protect it and you want to do everything and you want to, you, you, you know, it's yours. Um, and so, again, to scale and to grow, you have to be willing to let other people come in and, and let their, you know, put aces in their places, as we like to say. Um, so that we do have an opportunity to, one, grow as a company, but two, help other people grow in their in their field. So that's part of letting it go that was really challenging for me because I, I do want to micromanage, and uh, that's my first instinct. But then I, I have to just say, no, let, let your people be good at what they're doing and trust them. Um, But then the other part is, yeah, turning it off, turning it on when you get home. Um, I'm probably the worst example at that. I I am always on. I I mean, I'm answering emails at 1230 at night and then again at 530 in the morning. And, um, you know, it's just it's part of what you are and part of who you are. And if you are looking at running a business, 
it's got to be your life. And I know that's not the cool thing to say. That's not the, the PC or sexy thing to say because, you know, people want to tell you work-life balance is important. But the reality is if you want to, if you want to kill it in your industry, you have to, you have to work really hard. Period. Let's talk about that a little bit, the work-life balance or, or lack thereof yeah. in there. Um, is it periodic for you at all? Is it obviously you're all in. You know? yeah. Obviously you have to work work super hard. But you don't ignore yourself completely at the, no, at the same time. No, no. So, you're right. So so when you do take those times, and I, um, I, I feel like I'm good at scheduling those times where I'm going to, you know, unplug for two days and go on a trip or spend some time with my kids or whatever – and during those two days, I am, I am all in on what I'm doing. I am all in on being there, being present. Um, but the second I get back, I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm chomping at the bit, ready to get going again. Because, you know, you unplug, and that, I guess that's probably why it's nice, is because it, it allows you to recharge the batteries. And then by the time you're back at work, you're like, you're hungry again. So it's that, I think that's important to be present. The nature of the work, though, uh, and how hard you work, there's also this element of, of passion and fun and what you enjoy doing. So yeah. how much of it feels like work? Yeah. How much of it is, you know, I get up this morning and I am excited to get dressed and do this TV spot, you know, and then come in and check the food and then sit on the stage. Like, how sure. much of it feels... Yeah, you know, again, there's a lot of uh, misconceptions about... I've heard the, the... We've all heard the saying, if you love what you do, you never have to work a day in your life. I think that's bullshit. Anybody that's going to be okay. successful has to work. Mm -hmm. You have to grind. You have... There's, there's no job in this, in this world that's ever existed that is fun all the time. That's why it's called a job. It's mm -hmm. work. Um, that being said, if, if you're in, inspired by, by those challenges and, you know, if you get excited about those challenges, and that's, where it, that's, where, that's what keeps you going, right? And if you're passionate about what you're doing, that's what, that's what keeps you going. When you hit those walls or you hit those challenges or obstacles, that's what helps you push through. Or otherwise, you just don't care and you walk away, right? Yep. What's your daily routine like? Um, I'm up at uh, up between five thirty and six thirty every morning. I try to get a workout in. I, you know, I I, I was really bad at, at my uh, taking care of myself physically for a long time, um, and you can do that when you're in your late twenties, early thirties, uh, but when you start getting around forty, it catches up with you. So I've had I've had to really readjust and reset and and make working out a priority and it's fascinating how much that impacts my day um, mm -hmm. in a positive way so I, I I have to get a workout in before 7 38 o'clock or I'm not gonna I'm just not gonna do it and then and then I go right into work and I'm I'm working you know usually at the office or doing interviews like this or that kind of stuff during the day mm -hmm. and then this business being in the in the entertainment world and the restaurant world um, it's a nighttime job. It's nights and weekends, so that's where it leads me into the night. And, mm -hmm. and I, I usually shut off about midnight and turn around at 5 a.m. You know, and it's interesting. <coughs> Sorry. The, oh, all good. It's interesting that you use the term, you know, entertainment <coughs> for, for the industry. You know, I come from the flip side. I started on the entertainment mm -hmm. side, New York, L.A., everything. Ended up getting to Texas, change, changing sides. Mm -hmm. and, and directions, but chefs, hospitality, food and beverage became my entertainment. Right. Became the, the yeah. natural replacement yeah. of, let's say, agents, managers, film crew sets, all the other stuff, marketing. Once I got down here, it was, well, that's as close I felt to the entertainment sure. and as synergistic to the background and experiences I had uh, coming through. So it's interesting to hear you use that, use that term. Do you operate the business, I guess, and in your role as an entertainment business, like about the experience? Yeah. Well, so, uh, you know, you said experience. That's an interesting word, and I want to put a pin in that. But, but to answer your question directly, yeah, I mean, we, we talk about it all the time. Even though we are in the restaurant business, we are, this is a stage, and, and everyone that's in this building is part of that show. And we're putting on a show 14 times a week lunch and dinner, 
seven days a week. So, um, you know, you got to look the part, you got to act the part, you got to dress the part, and, and you really have to be that person. If, if you're a bartender and you're out of character, the experience isn't as good for the audience. And our mm -hmm. audience is the guest that comes and sits down and dines with us. Um, and then, you know, we also have a, uh, an actual entertainment component too here at the Rustic particularly yep. with you know the stage and the lights and the speakers and all that stuff so there's also a show there's a show within a show um, and so it's interesting to watch those two play off of each other conceptually when you guys decided to do the Rustic I mean, food and hospitality food and beverage is hard enough right? start bringing right. in live, live entertainment and all these other elements to it conceptually what, what drove you to do the Rustic? Yeah, so the way we created the Rustic, it, um, it started my business partner and my best friend from college uh, was, was getting married, and we had his bachelor party out at a Texas Hill Country Ranch. And we were out grilling steaks over an open flame, and we were out under the stars under a big oak tree and uh, listening to music and drinking beer and having just, you know, just guys being guys out on a ranch. And uh, I stopped and looked at him, and we kind of went, this is, this is a, an experience that if we could bottle this into a restaurant, this, you know, stars and cold beer and open skies and music and, and live fire and all that stuff, and kind of bottle it up and put it into a restaurant, I think we, we have a winner. Because we felt like everybody, even if you're a city person, everybody has some nostalgic, emotional, positive connection to a campfire. Yep. Right. And and so that's what we wanted to create with the rustic. And that's really how the concept was born. And I think I, th I think the uh, consumer has proven that it's uh, it's well received. Were you a camp guy? Were you a, a ranch? No, guy I was a city. I was a city boy. In fact, that was my first time on a ranch mm -hmm. was, you know, I was in my 30s. So because uh, I just didn't understand this concept of let's go to the ranch. I mm -hmm. didn't know what that meant. <laughs> Like, let's go hang out in the field. It didn't make sense. But once I got there, I, I, I smelled the smoke, and I, I saw the stars, and I got it, and I understood it. Um, now, that's not to say that I hadn't sat around a campfire as a kid mm -hmm. with, you know, somebody or something growing up. I did it once or twice, but, but I was a city boy through and through. And, what city were you from? Dallas? Uh, so, yeah, so I was born in New Mexico. Um, all my family is out on the West Coast, but I, uh, I went to high school in Houston, um, moved to Houston for high school and then college in Dallas uh, at SMU. And then right after SMU, I left, I left Dallas. I was like, I'm done with Dallas. I'm done with the state. I, I want to move on. I want to um, go try new things. So I lived in a lot of cool places, a lot of great cities. But this whole time I was gone, and it was about 10 years, um, there was just this calling back to Texas that I was kind of – it was unexpected. And when it came time to start the company, um, I called my partner and I was like, hey, uh, where should we do this? And, and we both agreed. There was no better place than Texas to start a company. Now, were you working in the industry in each of those other places that you were? Did you know this is what you wanted to do and it was just a matter of time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good question. So my, my business partner uh, was my college roommate. Um, we've been best friends since we were 18 years old, um, so over 20 years now, and um, we couldn't be more different. Um, we're a very odd couple, yin-yang. Um, I was an art major. I was a painting and sculpting major. He was a finance major. Um, you know, he's very, we're very left brain, right brain. Mm -hmm. um, and so he went into the financial world. I went into the restaurant world because being a starving artist didn't, didn't make sense for me. I, I, okay. That wasn't something I wanted to do, so I had to get a job. And I got a job waiting tables in college for beer money. And I ended up going, wait a minute, I kind of like this. This, is, this. this fits my personality, but it also feeds the creative side, um, this, this whole restaurant industry thing. And um, so I, I decided, let's, let's, go, let's go give this a shot. They, uh, the company I was with, which was uh, Pappas restaurants, Papado, mm -hmm. Papacitos, yeah. but, uh, great company, great organization. Um, they asked me to go into their management program. I did, and I ended up working my way up through the company and um, uh, was very successful with them and was them with them for 13 years before I broke away and started my own company. What is it about 
working for another company, but still kind of feeding and fueling that entrepreneurial fire yeah. that gets you through to that, to, that, to that place where you finally say, okay, now is the time. You know, a lot of people talk idea to execution, or yeah. they're afraid to take that leap, or they want to be entrepreneurs, versus the ones that actually, you know, go ahead and actually do it. Yeah, so I think two things. One, we, right now, being an entrepreneur is cool, yep. right? There's some cachet to it. The reality is most people aren't cut out for, for it. They're just not. And, and I think that it's a shame because there is, and that's not a knock on those people that aren't. Yeah. Because I think there is nothing wrong with being a number two or a number three or a number five at a great company. Mm -hmm. um, because you have a lot of control. There's a lot of added value to, to what you're doing. Um, but, you know, it's, you, you, can't, you can't ask a fish to climb a tree. You know, some people just aren't cut out for this whole entrepreneur thing. Mm -hmm. And um, and I think that that's that needs to be talked about a lot more. Now the people that are, um, you go and you work for a company and you apprentice with that company. You'll know after a time either I'm happy here and I like my my job here and I feel like I, I add a lot of value, or you'll go I can't wait to go start my own company. Mm -hmm. At the time, <coughs> excuse me, did you have? I'm sorry, I don't know what's, I think I've got allergies. It happens to me all the time. It's going gonna, it's gonna to happen in the next couple <laughs> minutes. i got cough drops on yeah. the table right now. We've got plenty, plenty of shit going around. Yeah. At the time, um, did you have a partner, wife, girlfriend, kids? I mean, what, what was factoring in also, which I know for a lot of people, pretty much everybody, you throw it all in a bucket, you know, and you look sure. for the right time. It's never necessarily the right time, but... Yeah. And there has to be, if you're going to do it, versus the reasons to not do it, the steady paycheck, the kids at home, the whatever yeah. the reasons are. Yeah. You know, I, I had a lot of support from my family, which was which was crucial, obviously. You can't do it alone. And then having a partner is, is one of the key, uh, one of the most important elements in my mind, because, um, you know, this whole idea of I'm a self-made man mm. is garbage. Nobody's a self-made man. You need help. You need, you need people to work with you, and you need people to help you along, and and having my best friend as my business partner has been one of the greatest blessings and one of the reasons why I've been able to uh, stay sane and stay on the path because we have, I, we have a good, good working relationship together. Um, I, I would encourage anybody that's looking at starting a business to first do a very, very deep dive in self-evaluating what they are good at and what they're not good at mm -hmm. and find a partner to compliment them and and you have to be honest and you have to go I'm, I'm just terrible at doing XYZ yep. um, and find somebody to counterbalance you um, that's been that's been so so crucial to our success I think let's talk about that partnership a little bit uh, mm -hmm. between you and Josh yes you know the opposites attract you 100%. randomly become roommates in, yeah in college yeah and here we are 20 plus years later, again, as, as partners. Now, when you came back and said it's time to start the company, take me through how you approached him and got his buy-in. Was this, you're out of your mind, I'm not doing this, or I've been waiting for you for 10 years no, to come back and do yeah, this? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so we, we had always, you know, we, were, we ran our fraternity together. Um, we had worked on a lot of projects together uh, throughout our our college and prof early professional life and so we always knew we wanted to do something together we just weren't sure what mm -hmm. and um, one day we were looking at hanging out and he he called me and goes hey why don't we go bowling and I was like bowling I'm, I'm, I haven't been bowling since I was 12 where do we go bowling he goes I don't know and so we went and we googled bowling alleys and we realized there was nothing near us um, and the closest ones were in bad parts of town um, and so we, we kind of went, well, maybe that's an opportunity for us. Maybe, maybe that's our chance. So, mm -hmm. so we started researching the bowling industry and, and we spent a year and a half just learning that industry and writing a business plan. And that was our, that was our moment where we went, you know what, let's, this is our opportunity. It's, we've talked about it. Let's do it. Let's take, mm -hmm. let's take the leap of faith. We were, uh, in our mid thirties at the time, early thirties, um, I, I was uh, 34, so, um, 
and we said, you know what, we've got the life experience. We've been working as a co for companies for you know over a decade now. Mm -hmm. uh, we've got the the ten thousand hours in, and let's go let's go try this because we felt like we were also young enough too, to where if it if it didn't work, we could recover. Mm -hmm. You know. What's the next step? Though you put it on paper, everybody writes a business plan. They yeah. The lines are going to go in the right direction. Sure. We decide we're going to do this. Um, and, and more along the lines of you know, how you guys dealt with rejection, how you dealt with questions, how you deal with obstacles sure. that, that, that naturally come with the territory. Yeah. You know, it's, it, what's really challenging is the starting point. Right, because you're trying to either raise money or, or, or convince a landlord to give you a location or you know convince uh, staff to come work for you. There's a lot of there's a lot of selling, but you're selling based off of faith, right? You're selling based off of getting people to believe that what you're saying is going to happen will happen because it doesn't exist yet, right? Mm -hmm. um, that's the hard part. Once you have a proven concept, then people go, oh, okay, I get that. I, I want to be a part of that, or I don't. Um, but that initial startup is, is hard. And so what you have to be able to do is you have to be very thoughtful about what you're doing, and you have to be an expert. I mean, we, we, when I say we spent an, a year on our first business plan, we spent a year, a year nonstop. We, didn't, we, didn't, we quit our jobs. We wrote a business plan for a year. Um, we hired a consulting firm to help us to help educate us on the industry, on the bowling industry. Um, I mean, our our first business plan was over a hundred pages long. Okay, I mean we we were thorough, um, and that was one of our biggest uh, things that we did right was we were thorough on the get on, on the get go. We didn't kind of half ass a business plan and. Mm -hmm. um, we were thorough, and we could go in and talk to a serious financial guy or a serious landlord that deals with sophisticated people, and we could we could answer the questions. Mm -hmm. um, so it was that combined with the fact that we had experience, right? So it wasn't like I'm a you know I'm a, I'm an accountant and I want to open a uh, an Italian restaurant, mm -hmm. okay. Because the, cause the first question is going to be, well, what do you know about restaurants? Well, my, my grandma makes a good spaghetti sauce. That doesn't cut it, right? I, I had the pedigree in the business. Josh had the pedigree in his business. So we had our, we had our, our history to validate who we were and what we, what we were trying to do. Um, and so that was another component that I think a lot of people forget. Like, especially in my industry, you know, it's fascinating how many people want to open a restaurant. And... I'm glad you're going here. Keep going. Yeah. And, and it's because, you know, oh, I make a really good turkey sandwich or whatever. Mm -hmm. so, you know, people, people have this uh, fallacy about what it takes to open a restaurant. Um, the reality is I, I was putting in 80, 100-hour weeks for a decade plus mm -hmm. in the industry, learning from one of the best companies out there um, and learning the science behind it and the sophistication and how difficult it is. Um, and so, you know, there's a lot that goes into this industry other than, you know, oh, I, I know how to throw a party or whatever. Yep. Um, and so, and, you know, and it's common, you hear all the time, the failure rate of the restaurant industry is, you know, 95% mm -hmm. failure rate, whatever it is. Well, that's because 95% of the people don't know what the hell they're doing when they get into the business. Right. It's a, it's a false failure rate yeah. in a way because to a certain extent, Everybody thinks they can mm -hmm. do it. Everybody's family member has a great recipe, or everybody wants yeah. to open a bar, or sure. anybody that's got some money or access to capital. This seems like a lot of fun, sure. in a way. And and the other component is, you know, what's funny is everybody in this industry is a critic, right? Everybody, because we all eat out, mm -hmm. right? And so we all sit there and go, oh, this place should do this, or this, you know, what they should mm -hmm. do. I love the, you, you know, what you should do, people. <laughs> I have the, you know, you know, what you should do, people, all the time. Like, hey, Kyle, you know what you should do? Mm -hmm. I'm like, please tell me what I should do. <laughs> <laughs> guy that that's a lawyer that that has never worked in the business tell me what I should do you know it's funny because everybody has an opinion because they're a, they're a consumer in this industry mm -hmm. but they don't understand the back end they don't understand the process of getting uh, you know the food to the plate or the service to the guests yep. they don't understand all those mechanics and they don't understand why there's certain things done certain ways that that um, 
you know, a guest doesn't understand, doesn't see that. Mm-hmm. So back to, to the partnership dynamic, very different skill sets, very mm-hmm. different roles between, between Josh and yourself. Mm-hmm. How do you guys stay in your lane? How do you respect each other yeah. as a couple, as a partnership, a, you know, a working marriage, yeah. all, all of those things? No, that's a good question. I, I, I will tell you this. I, I have experience because I learned from two brothers who ran Pappas restaurants, Harris and Chris Pappas, that were very much like Josh and myself. And they had their skill sets and their lane. And the way they worked was, was really fascinating. Um, they both, if they were going to say, like, do a new project, do a new restaurant, they both looked at it from their angle, from their vantage point, and they both had to sign off on it. And if one of them said no, there was no, there was no debate, there was no questioning, it was a no. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's, the, that's the way they worked, and it's taught us a lot, because if I love a project because I love the... The, the trees out in front, and I think we can do a really, we could design a really cool restaurant. And Josh looks at it and goes, man, the numbers just don't work. Done. End of, end of story, we move on. I don't mm-hmm. try and convince him, and vice versa. If he goes, Kyle, the numbers on the, the landlord's giving us a bunch of money, that, and I go and look at it, and I'm like, yeah, there's a reason why it's a good deal, why we're getting a bunch of money, because it's a, it's a terrible project. And... Um, there's nothing that's going to win here. And he, he goes, okay, done. And we, we never question each other. Did that take a while? Like, were there specific instances or even tipping points where you said, you know what, we had made this deal, we're not really sticking to this deal? No. Or we're rubbing? And- no, no, because we're, because, because that was established from the get-go. Mm-hmm. And, and that's kind of, that's the one thing that I will say is sacred between us. Maybe not the one thing, but that's one thing that is sacred between us is we have, we have ownership of our area, and we don't challenge it mm-hmm. in, a, in a negative way. I mean, we might ask questions to learn and, you know, be on the same page, you know, because that does help me. When I look at a project, I try and look at it from his point of view mm-hmm. and vice versa before we bring it up to each other so that we can kind of help weed out. But, mm-hmm. but, again, we both have autonomy, and we both have trust. Do you feel like you've learned sides – and aspects of his business and skill set, and, and, and he and on the other side too. Hundred percent. I I I spent a tremendous amount of time in the industry learning um, branding, consumerism, hospitality, culinary, all of that stuff. I spent a tremendous amount of time doing that. Um, over the last six seven years, I've spent a tremendous amount of time on the financial world, learning learning how money works. I mean, outside of just you know, transact consumer transaction, but actually how money works on the back end, mm-hmm. and and what constitutes a good deal, um, and so I've learned that from him. That's that's been uh, that's really helped me kind of round out my uh, my abilities. How important is the money? Hmm? Money's everything, right? I mean. I mean, you know, not to, I, I know we all kind of want to say we were in business for the passion and the love and that there's truth to that. But the reality is if you're not making money, if it's not profitable, then it's not a business. Right. And it's, it's funny to me to hear how many people, how many, especially because entrepreneurism, entrepreneurialism mm-hmm. has become in vogue and cool, especially with, with the younger generation, with sure. the millennials, um, it's fascinating when I go on to, like, say, Instagram and see some 28-year-old kids, I shouldn't say kid, but some 28-year-old's uh, Instagram profile that says entrepreneur. And I'm like, what, what's the actual business that you run? You, you don't make money. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's, the, that's a real fascinating, interesting component to it is that we all want to call ourselves entrepreneurs and business owners and CEOs and all this mm-hmm. stuff. But if you're not making money, it doesn't count. The title means nothing. Yeah. The words mean nothing. Yeah. Are you profitable or are you, sure. or are you not? Sure. You know? When did you guys, kind of that moment that you felt like, okay, we've made it or, or we've got something? I'm or still not there. In? Okay. I'm still not there. I mean, we're doing, we'll, we'll do 50 million in revenue this year and yeah. I still feel 
like um, just nervous as hell, and I and I feel like we're just walking through a minefield, and and it all could blow up at any time, you know. And I think that that's part of, you know, I don't want it to be doom and gloom, but I think that's part of what you need to have so you don't get fat and lazy. You have to you have to keep your edge, and you know, we've got we've got bigger ambitions and bigger goals. Do you always? Do you find any time to pat yourself on, on, on the proverbial back a little bit? Yeah. Because, look, you do have, again, you've got proof of concept. I right. You're just to puff you up, you know? And, yeah, and we get, but I like but, it when you do. <laughs> Good. We'll, we'll keep going. <laughs> but you've got proof of concept. I mean, you said we're going to change bowling, okay? And yeah. You, and you've you changed bowling, revolutionized that. Yeah. You said you were going to do live entertainment, and you've got proof of concept, and we go cut ribbons in Houston with yeah. the rustic. I mean, and it's fucking cool. Yeah. Okay? It is. But at the same time, you're sitting here going, 50 million, you know, from where we started in revenue, and feel like it could go away at any moment, but I want 100. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, we do. We, I mean, there's small victories. So one of the things that, um, one of the coolest practices that, Josh and I, my partner and I have put into place is every year during the holidays, he and I go to dinner and just the two of us and we call it brother time and we go to dinner and we open a good bottle of wine and we kind of recap the year and we talk about our, our losses or our missed opportunities or our struggles. But the most important thing we do is we talk about, uh, we kind of go through our thankful list is what we call it. And we, we, we just go through the list mentally of who we're thankful for that year, who has helped us that year, um, and who has contributed to our success. Because um, what that does is that adds a lot of humility um, and a lot of gratefulness to, to what we have. And that that's a great way that we can really celebrate um, is just by making it about the people that have, have been instrumental to our success. How much balance is there between ego and humility? Yeah, I, I, I love the thankful list. I love the the concept of brother time. Yeah, you know, I, I the dynamic, the partnership dynamic and relationship is just a fascinating one to me about how two people can get to a point where they're so close. Sure. Overall, and whether it's volatility or whatever else it is, it just works. You know, yeah, it becomes family. But you're also in a pretty ego driven, sure, ego driven business. Sure. I mean, again, and as a real entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not just the t- out there doing it. Mm-hmm. How do you balance ego with humility, with the micromanagement, with the people? Yeah, balance is hard. You know, I, I think I, I, I mean, it, ego is. I think I, I think sometimes ego gets a bad rap. I think ego is important because ego makes you. It, it gives you a little bit of that drive to 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 be successful because you can't. You can't be on a pedestal and then fall, right? Mm-hmm. If you if you have ego, that you won't let that happen. So, and I'm not saying I'm on a pedestal, but, uh, you know, you, you, you want to, that ego is part of that uh, element that gives you the drive, I think. So that's important. Now, humility is important, too, because it keeps you, keeps you in check. And I will say this, there is n- probably no better way to stay humble than this industry. I mean, this industry beats humility into you because every day you're starting over again. And every day there's somebody that has an opinion about the way this should be or the way that should be or they have mm-hmm. a bad experience and, and you have to go and, and be humble and apologize for, for missing the mark. Whatever their expectation was, you didn't hit it. And whether or not they were right or you were right, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. You have to eat crow and, and, and make sure that they leave happy. And so this industry pounds humility into you. Um, so that, that's kind of helped keep us in check a lot. Yep. more of the same concept in terms of scale and growth or more of we want to creatively push the envelope and try new things or both? The answer is both. Um, we have a lot of uh, concepts on the back burner that we, that we are looking for the right time and place to, to roll out. That being said, we don't want to overlook, you know, the, we, we want to still dance with the ones that brought us. Um, you know, and, and we've got some brands that are growing and scaling and doing really well. And we want to make sure that our focus is on them and that we're, we're growing those brands because, you know, 
uh, it's fun to do new projects, but you can't get distracted. You can't just keep getting distracted by other things. So, mm-hmm. so it's finding that balance. Um, and this industry allows you to be able to to be creative within the within your own brand. And you have to be conscious about what your brand is. But as long as you're staying with that brand DNA and and uh, any new idea speaks to that DNA, um, you're going to be fine. How much do you care, you know, or put value or sticks with you what what other people think? You know, you mentioned a little bit that you know the people that always are coming up to you and saying, you know, you should you should do this. Sorry, we may have to speak up now, but okay. Okay. <laughs> um, but whether it's a review or whether it's a, a, a team member, you know, or whether it's, I mean, how much do you care? I mean, everybody's got an opinion right now, I feel like. Yeah. And I go to bed thinking about, you know, sometimes, you know, is this person happy or not happy or did I make a tough decision and sure. affected them a certain way? Yeah, I, I think that, the, I think you've got to consider the source, right? You're, you're, uh, you're happy with the uh, feedback from, from trusted sources, right? So... In other words, if it's a if it's a say a consumer that really did have a bad experience, and they they're telling you because they they want ultimately you to succeed and be happy and you know be successful, and they're just telling you giving you constructive criticism, then that's amazing. Same thing with an with, with a team member that um, you know it's just like hey Kyle, I think this could be done better this way. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Now there's the disgruntled employee that that got fired because they didn't show up to work three times in a week and they complain, I don't really care. Um, or the, the, the drunk guest that got kicked out of the bar because they, they were belligerent. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't need their feedback. They can talk all they want. I don't care. So considering the stores, but, but really, you know, opening up the lines of communication is important and you just have to have a good picker on whose, whose opinion matters. And it can't be based off of, this person's telling me good things that I want to hear. Right. You know, it, it has to be, what is their intention? Yep. What's your style? <coughs> Do you feed off, you know, some negativity or feedback or a challenge? Are you a, you a complainer? Are you a happy-go-lucky guy? Do you try to kill it with kindness? You know, you know sure. what I'm saying? Like, yeah. Um, I, I think generally speaking, I'm a, I'm a positive person. Uh, in business, I, I am more glass half empty. I'm more critical. Um, I think that that's part of my responsibility and role is to always be uh, critical um, of what we're doing. Not not to beat people up or not to make people feel like they're um, insignificant, uh, insignificant. It's really just so that we can always keep pushing our our our. our boundaries and make sure that we're as best as good as we can be because we're, we're we all have a tendency to kind of get lazy and, and complacent sometimes and so I think it's my job to make sure that we don't do that now that being said I do like to um, I do like to have a good relationship with the people that I'm working with so that when I come in and yell at them one day, they know it's not me just being a jerk to be a jerk. It's for a good reason, and they trust me. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not gonna. <coughs> excuse me. I'm not gonna. You know, on the first day if somebody's here, go and start yelling at them. You know, I, I've got to build that trust with them, just like they've got to build the trust with me, in order for me to be able to apply pressure, and they know it's it's from a good place. Yep. Let's talk a little bit about this influencer thing. Okay. Because okay? you put something up the other day, or, la- or last week, uh, on Instagram, mm-hmm, um, that you were highly influenced, okay? <laughs> yeah. uh, satirical, yeah. if, if, uh, yes. if you will, um, on there, but highly influential. But you have I mean, developed a following, mm-hmm. you've got this big personality, you seem to have this kind of self-deprecating sense of humor, but also this willingness to put yourself out there. Yeah, you know, I, I, I mean, here's the thing. Being a, a, a man, I think most, a lot of men are a little bit hypercritical of social media and they're kind of off-put by it. And they're, um, but being in this industry, I, I, I've seen how impactful it can be and how really there's no better way to, to move the needle than getting people talking about you on social media. Um, 
you know, and it, it, it doesn't even have to be just in, in, in the restaurant industry or the entertainment industry. Mm-hmm. It could be any industry. If you get people talking about you in a positive way, it moves the needle. Um, we get our information a lot of times through social media now. And so it's fascinating to see um, some apprehension or some nervousness behind, you know, behind social media. And so because of that, because watching it through that lens, I've, I've decided to partake in it and have fun with it. Just, you know, I mean, treat it what it is. It's fun. It's exciting. It's entertaining. Um, I think it's, I think it can be, I think it could be cool. I think it could be, uh, very beneficial for a for business reasons, but I think it can also be, there's a downside to it certainly. Mm -hmm. And so, and, and that downside is if people take it too seriously. And so I, I do my best to try and have fun with it and just be tongue in cheek and you know. keep keep it authentic. Yeah. Okay. Um, kids. Yes. I have a stud fourteen year old and a beautiful princess twelve year old. Um, they both go to Highland Park uh, here in Dallas, and I uh, they're amazing. And they're you know my daughter has already told me she's going to take over my company one day, which I love. <laughs> Um, she is, she's, she's a powerhouse and my son is obsessed with science and math and animals. And so he really wants to do something and, you know, whether it's being a veterinarian or, you know, do, do something with animals. Um, but they're both great kids and, and whenever I get kind of, uh, I guess maybe tired or, or frustrated or, you know, when I, when you hit those valleys, mm-hmm the kids are the best way to, to perk me back up because I realize that's why I'm doing this, you know, and, and that legacy component and leaving my kids something, um, whether it's a, an actual business to run or whether it's just a good example. Um, that's what, that's, that's really the, the coolest thing in my life. What do you want that legacy to be as you're moving and shaking and growing and parenting right now? What are you thinking about legacy yeah you know it's funny and I think and I'm not old but I'm you know I'm we're all getting older um, hey, it is the midlife yeah now yeah so not that we're midlife yeah I mean I'm, I'm approaching 40 really quickly and um, you know you start thinking about I think in your 20s and 30s it's about um, what I can accomplish for me right I think that's kind of how you think about like what can I get how much money can I make what house can I buy? What cars can I buy? That kind of stuff. And it's all about accumulating for you and accomplishing for you. And then you, you hit a point where you realize now it's more important to what, can, what kind of impact can I have for other people? Mm-hmm. And, and I'm hitting that. And I think kids have a lot to do with that. But you, you sit around and you go, um, man, I, I, I have so much more to accomplish in this life than you know, buying another car. Or, or going on a great vacation, which I love vacations and I love that stuff and I'm not knocking it, but, you know, having that impact on other people mm-hmm. in a positive way and leaving a legacy, um, I call it leaving a wake, you know, just, just creating a big wake. Um, I think that that's important. You know, you don't want to have to hire people to, to be your pallbearers when yep. you die, you know? What kind of parent are you? Were you close to with your parents? Are you parenting the same way? Yeah, no. Have yes and no. I mean, there there are certainly times when I see my parents in me. You know, I mean, I think we probably all do. Um, I, but I also I you know the way parent the way parenting is now versus the way it was 20, 30, 40 years ago is different. And I didn't have a my parents are great and I they're they're loving I grew up in a loving household but I didn't have a close relationship with them I didn't talk to them really they didn't talk to me like not on a not on a real personal level you know and so that was the one thing that I wanted to instill with my kids is just create a uh, a an open dialogue with them um, now everything else that my parents did I I uh, I want to I want to do for my kids I mean they gave me drive they, they, they taught me integrity. They taught me um, honesty, <coughs> you know, hard work. Um, uh, you know, just they taught me what it was like to be a, a good man or a good person, be kind to others. Um, and so those, those elements I really want to 
instill in my kids as well. What type of people do you surround yourself with or gravitate towards and at the same time maybe keep out, you know? Sure. Circle too. Yeah, um, you know, I, I, uh, I will say this. I my my friend my circle of friends is very small. Um, I have I can count my close close friends on one hand, um, and that includes um, uh, that includes my girlfriend and my business partner. So, I um, you know I keep that circle really tight. The the because there's just only so much you can you can show uh, of your you know deepest darkest moments or your you know your your the, that core center. Um, that being said, you know, I, I just like being around people and I, that you can't be in this industry and not want to be around people. Mm-hmm. Thank we'll you. St- we'll stay caffeinated. For yeah. Sure. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Oh, I'm fine. Thank you know you. what I mean? Yeah. So you've got to be, you've got to like people to be in this industry. And I just, I really, I'm not good alone. Mm-hmm. I, I don't like being by myself. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a big difference though, between, you know, not being alone but also having a small, tight circle, you know? Yeah. Uh, as well, versus having sure. to be at the party, you know, sure. all, all the time. Yeah. I, I like I, I like the idea of being the entertainer, throwing the parties. I, I, I always have dinners at my house, I you know, just things like that where I like having uh, people over, and I like hosting mm-hmm. parties, and that's probably just because that's what I do for a living so it's just natural when I go home I, mm-hmm. there's always people at my house I've, you know people swing by for a glass of wine or just to see what I'm making for dinner or whatever you know and, and I love it and my, my door my front door is unlocked always and people just walk in and that's awesome do you um, what about the business has, has surprised you um, or this was unexpected or Maybe I, I gain a new talent out of this, or just yeah, uh, yeah. That's a good question. I, I mean, that, that list is so long. I mean, you, you, uh, you know, I, I talked about the business plan and how long it was and how thorough it was, but it's it's amazing how much still there was that we didn't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say the number one thing that I learn that I've learned in this business doing this is. Uh, the, the entertainment music industry and how warped that that industry is and how dysfunctional it is and how there's no real uh, there's no real formula you know to the to the industry it's it's a lot of like gut and you know feeling and the decisions are made off of emotion more than they are off of business which is interesting you know you can you can take an artist and say we'll pay you X to be there to perform and it's not based off of a dollar amount it's based off of do they feel like they want to perform there or not mm-hmm. you know are they are they up for it and if they are then they'll do it if they're not they won't and you can come back the next day and offer them less and they'll take it because they felt they felt like they wanted to do it that day there's something kind of nice and refreshing about that in a way it is it, it, it's frustrating but you know when you when you were running a business you want to be uh, grounded and you want to be scientific about it and so it, it can get frustrating when you can't be scientific about the music industry and um, so you got to learn to roll with the punches but it, it's it, it's a fascinating industry it's a lot of fun it's it's a pain in the ass to deal with but it's also to me I'm glad I'm doing it I wouldn't I wouldn't change being in this industry because because it is fascinating it raises a, a- Another question that I want to ask you about the value of relationship and some of those intangibles versus the quantifiables of, of let's say, just price. Or sure, you know, sure. And how you guys as a company, as free range, also make decisions between those. Could you buy cheaper tomatoes? Maybe you could. Right. You no, know, could you? Again, an artist would play for less because they love your stage and they love your vibe, you know, somewhere else. All, yeah. Tons of vendors and moving pieces. And how you guys deal with or address philosophically relationship versus against sure. the numbers. So we've, we've, go, we've gone through, there's a couple points I want to make with that question. It's a great question. I, I think the first thing to talk about is when we set out and we had our mission statement, our mission statement was about two paragraphs long and it was filled with a bunch of 
corporate jargon that nobody could remember. I went around the restaurants and asked what our mission statement was, and nobody knew. And, and I realized that we had a problem there. So my partner and I set out to create a mission statement that, that you could that you knew, um, that everybody could know and everybody could get behind. And so we started boiling down this mission statement. And we got went from a par two paragraphs to one paragraph, and then a, a, one paragraph to a couple sentences to one sentence to, and we finally got it down to four. Uh, actually, we had uh, yeah four words, and um, the the four words were create remarkable memories for our guests. I guess that's five words, um, and. Uh, we thought we were there, but then we took it one step further and we removed for our guests. Um, and we thought that, that was important because, so our mission statement just is simply create remarkable memories, three words. Uh, and everybody, you, can't, you, you can ask anybody in this organization what our mission statement is and they all know it. It's create remarkable memories. Um, and that was important to us because what we, what we realized is that that's really what we're in the business of is creating a memory, um, a, a positive memory, but also not just a positive me memory, but a remarkable memory. And, and, and the definition of remarkable is worth making a remark about. And so we wanted to make sure that we were creating memories for people that they would go tell other people mm -hmm. uh, about, hey, I had a really good interaction. And we removed for our guests because we realized it's not just about creating it for our guests, but it's also creating it for our, our team members and our peers and for our vendors and for our, 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 our talent, our music talent. You know, mm -hmm. Everybody that comes into contact with us, whether it's the delivery guy dropping off those tomatoes or whether it's a guest or whether it's an artist on stage, we want to make sure that they have positive things to say and a positive memory of us. Um, so with that being said, one of the things that we found to be very successful for us is we will be able to book talent for less money because they just love coming here. And we treat them, you know, most, most artists, they're tired, they're on the bus, they, they go to a, a, a bar or a music venue, and the food that they're served is like garbage food. And, you know, versus us, we come in, they have a full service crew with them, a full team of staff members with them, taking care of them, taking drink orders, making them food to order that they want off the menu and we treat mm -hmm. them like a guest and you know you want a big 72 ounce porterhouse steak it's all you know tell us how to cook it and we'll make it you know so we we treat them the artists just like they would be treated if they were sitting in a dining room being uh you know paying for their food and so just the, that type of element that type of hospitality and the quality of food and quality of service that we provide them has been uh one of our biggest selling points to artists because they'll, they'll go and tell their manager or they'll go and tell their agent or they'll tell other artists. Mm -hmm. You know, they'll be on stage with another artist a week from now at a festival and, and mention, hey, if you're ever in Dallas, go, go check out this rustic place. It's, it's, they, they really take care of you. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's been one of the things that has helped us a lot uh, in booking talent is just be able to create remarkable memories for everybody, including our artists. That was long-winded, I know, but yeah, and but it's extremely impactful how you can take something of that magnitude, yeah, again, and have a company this size and drill it down to three words overall, yeah, and make sure that that permeates throughout the entire culture, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. So, in in closing, what's what's next? Okay? What's exciting you, you know, sure. right now? What's challenging you right now? What's What's the next hurdle? Because you've already been super, super clear with, hey, we are not, we're not done. Right. We're not complacent. This is where we are. Yeah. And, okay, we got some things that work, but we're sure. Somewhere. So, I mean, our, our biggest thing is we have some concepts that have created categories. So, rustic being one of them. We're the first of its kind that's a, that's a true restaurant and bar that has the ability to flip a switch and throw, on, throw a big concert. Um, you know, we were kind of first to market. There are other music venues that have restaurants in them, and you know, but but you know, not packaged the way we're packaged. We're seeing a lot of knockoffs now. I mean, there's a there is actually a rustic in Bangladesh. Hmm. There's another one in Wisconsin. There, you know, there are people trying to knock us off, and we're fighting the legal battles on that front 
we're not so concerned with the legal component as much as we are just, we want to be the national brand in, in that category. We want to be, you know, McDonald's created the category uh, early on and they became the, and they remain the front runner throughout, yep. right? We want to be the front runner uh, in this category. Same thing with our mutts concept. We, there's a lot of knockoff dog parks now. Uh, we were the first five and a half, six years ago. Mm -hmm. um, we, we're in a race to grow and become the national brand so that when there are going to be knockoffs and people trying to copy us, but they, we always want to make sure that they're the, you know, they're the Burger King or McDonald's. Uh -huh. um, and so that's, that's, and no knock on Burger King. I like Burger King. I like the Whopper, <laughs> but yeah, I'm just using that as an analogy. Um, but yeah, that's really our biggest goal right now. Our most pressing thing is just to grow, be the national name in these categories, while also making sure that we're not growing so fast that we can't keep up with, can't mm -hmm. keep up with it and that, that the quality and the experience goes down because there's a really fine line, right? Scale, scale is wonderful until you lose control of, of what you really you know your your true DNA of who you are. Yep. So that's our biggest challenge. That's what we're focused on right now. You do a lot of interviews. You do a lot of TV. You're even doing some some keynote speaking and yes. stuff now too. What do you always wonder? Is there something you want to? Where somebody would ask me this, and they never they never do. <laughs> um, yeah, that's a good question. I you know I I, I would say this. I, I appreciated the fact that you asked about my kids. Nobody seems to ask about family enough. Um, and I, I, I would just point out that that is, I mean, if, if you're not focused on that in your life, then, then what are you doing it for? You know, why are you working so hard? Um, and so, and I know that contradicts what I was saying earlier about, I don't have good work-life balance, but I do because there, you know, I'll, I'll leave for an hour in the middle of the day to go to go eat lunch with my kids at, at the cafeteria or I'll, you know, I'll do those things. Um, and there is not a moment that if my kids call me, no matter what I'm doing, if I, if my kids called right now, I would, I would answer the phone. And that would be, um, that would be awesome. <laughs> you know, and I just, I, 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 you know, I think that that's important. Um, so, you know, I, I appreciate that you asked me about family. I don't know what else you could ask that would be that would be interesting. What 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 are some questions that, that you found interesting that that people have had interesting answers to? You know that that in itself is an interesting question. You know, one of the best things about be doing this is the opportunity to put questions yeah. out there and then sit back and just listen. Sure. I'm in the question asking business yeah. every every day. Yeah. Hundreds of questions. The better story we can tell from clients, sure. the better report, everything. So it's really nice to put questions out there and then get responses and those responses lead you yeah. to other areas. Um, and it's an indirect answer, but I've been really fortunate with with the guests, I think if you choose or, or you're fortunate enough to get good guests, right. those guests have a story and they want to tell sure. that story. And if you can steer that in the right direction, but the stuff that I ask and that I try to talk about are the things that I'm wrestling with myself personally, and right. professionally. Yeah, which are okay. How do, it's all a contradiction to me. You mentioned mm -hmm. Everything you said at the beginning, I think, is 100% true. And everything you say at the end is 100% right. true. It's all a contradiction of what we're doing. Sure. Could we put more hours in at work? Yes. Could, you know, it's a trend. Could we put more hours in at home? Are we trying to do both? Do we juggle all of it? So that's the stuff I tend to like to ask. Yeah. Because I really need the answers. Sure. Because well, those answers all, help me. You know, it's, it's fascinating to me how we're all ultimately the same. Mm -hmm. I mean, we are. We're, you know, we're all fighting the same battles. We all face the same challenges. I mean, we might have different perspectives or different approaches, but it's just, you know, we're we're all just out hustling and trying to trying to balance everything and trying to juggle it. And, you know, I I, I, I use the analogy of nobody likes salty cookies, but you need salt in your cookies for the cookie to taste good, <laughs> right? You know, and so. Um, you just you have to balance you have you know just all sugar in a cookie doesn't taste good and all salt in a cookie you need that balance and um we're all i think ultimately just trying to find that balance yeah i think that's been i think you nailed it i think that's been the most gratifying thing about mm -hmm. this um not really knowing where it was going to go yeah. from from the get-go um 
but the similarities amongst incredibly unique, successful men. And I'm staying away from the entrepreneur yeah. word. I mean, some truly are, yeah. as we described, and some are working within systems and businesses that also make them unique and have found their place within those systems yeah. and, and businesses too. The the similarities, no matter what your widget is, no matter what your position is, we are all looking to do the very best we can. Totally. And and take information, take feedback, learn from these things. And ultimately, if we can do one thing, live the next phases of our lives better than we're living the current. Right. Because we are going to live longer. Take yeah. better care of ourselves. Learn more that it's not such a race that you've got to get it totally. done by, by yeah. a certain date or time. No, I agree. Kyle? How do I rank on guests? How do you am, rank am on I, guests? Am I top three? Absolutely. Oh, absolutely top three. And part right. two, okay, we're going to really... We're going to really jump it out there. Good. But Kyle Noonan, Free Range Concepts, Midlife Mail Podcast today. Thank you for putting me on the stage, literally. Okay? Thanks for being here. I really enjoyed it, and best of luck with everything you guys are doing. It is freerangeconcepts.com. Yep. It is The Rustic. It is Mutt's Cantina. It is Bowling Barrel. The General Public. The General Public. Yeah, and a few more coming your way soon. And then go find them on Instagram, at Kyle Noonan. That's right. Okay. 20,000 plus followers. Yeah. The man is fucking influential. Okay? <laughs> you got it. We're out of here. See you guys next week. Appreciate it. The Midlife Mail Podcast with Greg Scheinman was presented by Inns Group Insurance. Inns Group is ensuring success. For more information, visit innsgroup.net. Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks, you're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen.